Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and on today's episode, we'll bring you all the latest transfer news as we enter the final days of the summer window, and we'll look ahead to United's trip to face Southampton in the Premier League this weekend. On the back of Eric Ten Hag's latest press conference, I'm delighted to be joined by our Chief United reporter, Samuel Lutkus. Samuel, how was Carrington today, and how are you yourself? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Carrington was was good. The the mood was uh, a lot more buoyant this week than than last week. The the, the pastries were back. The, the 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 wraps had gone, but the pastries were back, which was a, a staple of Solskjaer's uh, time there as as manager. So he of course put the smiles back on people's faces. So the pastries were back. They they made the pit. They reappeared. And uh, yeah, quite quite muggy, but it's it's dry in Manchester. So anyone who's been following the the cricket will have. Will have noticed. So uh, I think the players were just leaving as as I, had, I I was leaving as well, or just just finishing up working because they they they'll be uh, flying down to Southampton uh, this this uh, this late afternoon, early evening. Yeah, it's a bank holiday weekend, and I'm already thinking Eric Ten Hag is doing what Oligon Solskjaer used to do at press conferences. <laughs> we're sorry for Sunday or Monday if we're really uh, scraping. Some, the someone will do that. Yeah, someone will do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Samuel, like you said, smiles are back on faces. I guess. The concern for me, if I'm going to be devil's advocate, is the win over Liverpool did feel a bit Solskjaer-esque because they were playing on the counter-attack and obviously you've got to just play the opponent, so you can't critique Ten Hag for that. But United have struggled against teams who defend deeper. They don't always have joy against sides who don't give them much, much space on the counter-attack. So Southampton away this weekend is a really interesting test. Could see a debut. Casemiro has got his work permit for the game. He's he's fit and, and ready to play. He's had a full preseason with Real Madrid, played in the Super Cup, so it's not as if he needs to get up to speed for minutes or anything. There's always got to be people who say, well, he needs to get used to the physicality of the Premier League. It's Casemiro and his position on the pitch. He's used to physicality. Do you put him into your starting lineup this weekend, or, or would you understand if McTominay is rewarded with another outing after playing quite well against Liverpool? I would put him in, but I would expect McTominay to start. I, I need to redo my my panel team because I, I tried to get ahead of the curve and had Marshall in it before I set off for Carrington. Then, of course, he's been ruled out through injury. Managers do this a lot where they like to ease a player in. And McTominay, he certainly did. did it was a, a good stopgap stopper, I suppose, if you like, against Liverpool the other night. But against Southampton, the midfielders are going to be required to do a lot more with the ball and United are going to have the ball a lot more. Southampton have barely had 40% possession in their three games this season. They're a team that are quite comfortable not having it. I think three of United's last four games at Southampton have ended in draws as well. They've they've gone behind in, in three of those games. But those those two 1-1 games under Solskjaer in the last three years, they, they had opportunities, well, sorry, not opportunities, but 
the, the game was right for them to to get a, a winning goal uh, in the last 20 minutes and they failed to do it in both of them. Mm-hmm. They, they pretty much created next to nothing in those games. The game last season, I think the Greenwood equalised in the 55th minute. I think was that the, the only one, chance... I, was Matic have a shot from about 40 yards or something in desperation in one of them? Because United just wouldn't create anything. Possibly, and possibly that, but that game last season, Harry Maguire made a mistake at 1-1 yeah. and it was quite an easy save. It was a save that they had to make, but it might have been Armstrong, I think, who had the chance. Southampton had the better chance after it went to 1-1 in the last 35, 40 minutes. And then a few years ago, Southampton were down to 10 men. I think it was a red card with about 20 minutes left. And the only one who came close to scoring, I think Greenwood had a shot that was pushed around the post or pushed away by, by Angus Gunn. So in both those instances, they they just could not unlock uh, Southampton's defence and you can see a certain scenario uh, happening tomorrow as well so Christian Eriksen could be particularly important and Casemiro just has a better range of passing as well when McTominay had the ball and had to do things with mm. with time against Liverpool he, he was incapable of doing it he, he obviously sprung one great pass for that opportunity to Alanga where he played Fernandes through and in fairness to Fernandes he had to stretch to get it but he did brilliantly to stretch and get it through Joe Gomez's legs I believe it was but normally when McTominay when you when he's got time and he's on the ball he's, he's not going to do much with it he's, he's quite limited and Casemiro is the polar opposite I mean okay he's a defensive midfielder but he's, he's pretty prudent with the ball and it's, it's in, it was interesting just re-watching his personal packaged highlights from the Champions League final how even though you know Real Madrid had to weather a number of attacks from Liverpool. He'd win the ball and he was so proactive with it in terms of always looking for a forward pass, always trying to get Madrid high up the pitch and spark a counter-attack. So I'd go with him, but given that Marshall's out and given that Casemiro hasn't trained a full week with United, it really wouldn't surprise me if it's an unchanged team. Yeah, I think... If I was going to make a vague prediction, it'll be that McTominay starts, United get play, get torn apart in midfield again, and the game changes when Casemiro comes on. Because, like you said, they've played two teams who are quite similar in the fact Brighton and Brentford do similar things when they're out of possession. And United struggle to break either of them down and were beaten by both. So I do understand that maybe politically you've got to stick with a similar team that beat Liverpool because that's their reward. But... I understand if Ten Hag wants to be ruthless as well and say this new player is better than you, he's playing because I think that that is the way United need to approach things. You've mentioned the forward line then, and Samuel. We were both very impressed with Marshall from the bench at halftime against Liverpool. Obviously, he'd only just come back from the hamstring injury. It's now an Achilles injury. Again, that's the concern for United that when Marshall is out and, and unavailable, there really is concerns to how the, the front three operate. Southampton away then, do you put in the greatest goal scorer in the history of men's football or do you put in Anthony Alanga, who is maybe a better fit to what Ten Hag wants the front three to do? I I was thinking this earlier. I I would personally go with Ronaldo just because, as you say, I think you've got a greater chance of scoring. Rashford was also better when he moved to the left against Liverpool. in the second, in the first half, he was he was lively, and his presence certainly had Liverpool on 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 the back foot. And there were a couple of openings that he didn't quite get right. When you, he went to the left, of course, that's where he scored, and he also went on that rather you know captivating run towards the end of the game at two 0 I believe it was still, and he had the shot that went over. 
Rashford's best role is from the left. James Sancho has played his best football from United for United from the left, but he was always intended as the signing for the right wing. And credit to Ten Hag, it's I mean, it's not taken. It, all it takes is just a manager making a straightforward decision. But he has religiously played him at least from the start from the right, and that will happen again on Saturday. And of course, Sancho's got the freedom to switch with Rashford as well. They they can utilise that. So I would go with that. But again, as I said earlier, Alanga did have a, a pretty good half against Liverpool. It was maybe somewhat harsh to have hooked him with them 1-0 up, having assisted uh, Sancho for that brilliantly taken opening goal. But it was such a good proactive tactical move by Ten Hag because Marshall was an upgrade. And I thought Marshall was tremendous in the second half. It's, it's very difficult to recall the last time that Marshall dominated two centre-backs with a reputation or the calibre of, of Van Dijk and Gomez that well. He, he had a very good end towards the end at the end of the 2019-20 season when he was scoring some some good goals and he was winning a lot of penalties as well. But in terms of the, the stand, that standard of defence, you'd maybe have to go back to possibly the t- December 2019 derby when he, he scored the winning goal. But I, st- I would say his performance that day wasn't as good as his performance on Monday night. So it's these aren't words I thought I'd have I'd have been uttering a couple of months ago or even maybe a month and a half ago that Anthony Marshall will be a miss for United, but he will be because he had a very good pre-season and he overcame the setback of being injured for the first couple of games to perform as well as he did against Liverpool on, on Monday night. But I would go with Ronaldo because I, I just think it, him through the middle and you've got Sancho in the position where he needs to be, Rashford in his best position, you've, you've got, that's a pretty good attack to take Southampton. And if it crumbles or if things don't go their way, then I think it would probably be fair to pinpoint Ronaldo as the issue. But Again, I've, I've said it a couple of times already, I suspect Ten Hag will go with the front three that started on Monday night. And really, you couldn't blame him because it was vindicated. Exactly. I think that's a, a good point on Ronaldo as well. That the defeats that I've had this season, yes, he's featured, but he's not been the problem. There's been bigger issues at play. So Southampton, now that they've proven they can eradicate some of those issues, it, it will fall down to, to maybe Ronaldo. And we've said as well that it's probably going to be a game of a few chances if history is to, to go by. And you need someone who can take that one chance in the match. And Ronaldo is the person he's proven to be. And again, when the, the critics of him and the, the questions about if he really is committed, you know, and, and wants to still be playing for this team, that's the way to answer them, isn't it? I suppose. And I guess then Samuel, on the flip side, the fact that we are again talking about how big a loss Anthony Marshall is for you, does that highlight the need to, to still go out and sign a proper number nine before deadline day? We know United are, confident of a deal for Anthony. You've written today as well that Memphis Depay is being considered for a possible return to Old Trafford. But do you think they need some what someone else who can who can be that number nine, you know, play between the two posts and as Solskjaer said really, someone who can break their nose, break their toe to get on the end of balls. Well I think that was um one of the standout things about it was one of the Marshall goals on the preseason tour now. Um I'm trying to think which one because he had the nice goal against Liverpool uh, was it the yeah? It was the Melbourne victory goal where it was a cross. It was deflected into his path, and he just was there to seize on the chance in the six-yard area. And we said afterwards that was the kind of goal that Solskjaer wanted him to score more often because he's 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 been the classic scorer of great goals, but not a great goal scorer, if you like. Um, 
you know, if, if you're looking at Marshall's United career, you'd say he's had two undeniably good seasons, his first season and the 2019-20 season, which I'd say was actually a overrate, sorry, an underrated season for him. He ended it with a good goals tally of 23. Yeah. Um, well, that was the season where United outscored Liverpool's front three of Firmino, Salah and Martin. They did. Yeah, they did. And particularly after the restart, uh, that, that attacking triumvirate of Martial, Rashford and, and Greenwood really caught fire. And you thought this was their long-term attacking trio as well. It's, it's obviously not worked out that way for various reasons, um, to say the least. But they they need they need established quality and depth to call upon as well. And I mean, if you're talking about Anthony, is he established? I think you'd have to say he is because he's he plays for Ajax, who whatever league they play in. I mean, okay, it's it's not it's it's not the most. Um, it's, it's not the, the acid test of whether you're a top player or not, but he's a Brazilian international as well. He has a cachet, so you'd have to say he is. I, I was really hoping to go the entire summer without actually writing about Memphis Depay, but alas, no, I got a message yesterday morning and I, I was off yesterday, so I tried to hold off on it as well and, and not do anything. And I was very, very reluctant to do a, a story that was just a top line on Memphis Depay because... I, I think it's utterly inadvisable for United to to go in for him. Uh, you know, there's enough has been written about his first time, and yes, that was that was five and a half years ago since he left. But I think just the principle of it, they would be doing Barcelona a favour by taking Depay off their hands. Okay, he's he's done very well with Dutch national side. He had a pretty good career at Lyon, albeit not a lot of pressure there. Um, but again, I think because he's Dutch, because he's played in the Eredivisie, because Ten Hag worked with him, I was always fearing that oh, this 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 day is going to come. It's there, there are too many um, there are too many ticks in terms of the criteria for Man United signing this summer for me to never write about him. And lo and behold, with a week left, it's it's happened. But there's I've not had any indication to suggest that this this deal is is gathering pace yet, or it's a definite go. He is just a player that is of interest to United. And if the circumstances were right or if the circumstances dictated it, he's a player that they would be prepared to go for. But Anthony has always been the attacking priority. And, I mean, it, it, it's been an incredible shift from you know being scrummaging around a, a bargain basket and picking our Marco out on Altovic out of it to then going back to being possibly being prepared to meet a hundred million euro valuation of a player who scored I think 20 21 goals for Axe in just over two seasons and only joined them a couple of years ago. It's not it's not a really sound way of going about signing a player, but it's it's a case of needs must and it's also pretty much a without them ever saying it because they're not going to, but it's an admission from United that the Glazer family were somewhat unnerved by the opening defeats and the lack of reinforcements. And it's clear, I mean, whoever they sign next, I mean, they've already invested £139.9 million pounds this summer. They will break their record for summer spending if they sign one more outfield player, another attacker, whether it's Anthony or someone else. You would think it would break you know, £10 million easily. And I think the record is £150 million for permanent signings in the summer. And that was Van Gaal's first summer. So they're, they're certainly prepared to 
go towards the or even go north of the 200 million pound mark of um, in, in terms of an investment in in signing players so it, it, it does go to show that although it's it will have been results that dictated it because let's face it if they'd won against Bryce and Brentford I don't think anybody would have ex- been expecting them um, to, to sign Casemiro or they'd have even gone with Casemiro at that point but because of the bad start to the season which fortunately for United was halted on Monday night, that it has necessitated certain moves in the market that they maybe didn't envisage making uh, this time last month. Yeah, it's a good point there. I mean, who knows, maybe they were a blessing in disguise if you look at the, at the long run, because it did ensure that they couldn't pay for the, the cra- cracks and they had to acknowledge just how much of a job was still on. And, you know, yeah, like you said... <laughs> You referenced that Van Gaal summer where they spent lots of money. Again, that doesn't prove that it was spent right, though, does no. it, I guess? And and that's always going to be the concern at the back of uh, supporters' heads, really. And one win, of course, doesn't change everything. And it will be this test against Southampton this weekend to to be a real gauge of, of how much United have changed in, in the last few weeks. I guess the question everyone cares about, though, Samuel, is we are ticking very close now towards deadline day. United obviously play on, on the evening as well uh, against Leicester. What is United's state of play, what do you expect them to do before deadline day in terms of new arrivals? Anthony, like I said, is, is a dealer confident of. Would you still expect a backup goalkeeper? We know there's interest in maybe a right-back. That seems like a, a bit of a stretch considering wan is still at the club. What do you actually think might happen before deadline day? I, I think this is a question both of us could answer, Rich. You, <laughs> you did yesterday hope to sign two players in the final week of the window, which is, is perfectly accurate and, and correct in that all along Ten Hag has wanted a minimum of, of five signings and I think he will he will get that the the keeper situation feels quite um inconsequential and yet when mm. you you consider it more and more it, it is something that that they do need a backup goalie because it's it's a bit unfair on on Bishop and Kovar who've had these loan deals set up for well up well over a month I would have thought and they're still at United. They're still just being involved in in warm up sessions and getting the odd game with with the under twenty ones now. That that's probably United's fault. I mean, Nathan Bishop was a very very strange signing in January twenty twenty. He's he's just been a it's almost been a bit of a comp, he's been a bit of a competition winner. Just turning up to Carrington and can't believe his eyes that he's training with David de Gea and Sergio Romero, and Dean Henderson and Lee Grant as well, lest we forget. And now Tom Heaton. But he's not he's not got any prospects, it seems, of ever having a career at United. Yet they they paid a seven I think it was a seven figure fee to sign him from Southampton at the time. So it was it was pretty bizarre, but he seems quite well liked by by the players who who train with him. And someone at United told me last week when I just saw some clarity some clarity on it that they always want four keepers to train mm-hmm. in sessions, which is, you know, is is a development from about six years ago when it seemed a bit of a, a jolt that Sam Johnston was being involved, not only being involved in training, but actually travelling with the team. They would always take three goalkeepers away from that, away with them. And that third choice goalkeeper would always be involved in the warm-up as well. So, I mean, it's, it's got the makings of a long a long read by, by our good friend Laurie Whitwell. Why, why four goalkeepers train... At, at, clubs now or something like that I mean I think that's that's got Laurie's fingertips all over it but it's when when you look at the situation the way De Gea has started the season 
Um, I mean, I the whole thing about getting a goalie in to provide competition with him, I think it does Tom Heaton a bit of a disservice. I'm not saying Heaton is a credible competitor for De Gea, but I certainly think he's worthy of number two status. Uh, he's, he's shown in the Premier League that he's a very good shot stopper. Um, he's still very fit, very imposing. He's, he's very vocal as well. Uh, for his sake, I hope he gets a decent amount of games this season because he thought he was rejoining the club as a number two last year. But to bring another goalie in from, from abroad or, or whoever that may be, realistically, they are not going to be putting pressure on De Gea. And you think, why Why would you waste wages or even a transfer yeah. fee or one of those goalies? Yeah. But then Surely again, it makes sense to go for a young goalkeeper who can learn their trade and then become the number one when De Gea maybe has to leave. Obviously, you've got that. Well, yeah, element, and, but... and the dynamic was a bit like that when you had De Gea, Romero and Johnston at the start of, mm. of Mourinho's reign. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing having a relatively... I mean, Bishop, I, 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 he's, he played a fair few games for Southend before he joined United and he played a lot at Mansfield last year. I think as a third-choice goalkeeper, he's he's fine to have around. The problem is the goalkeeper situation is going to be especially topical next year. And if you're talking about we want a goalie to come in and provide David some competition, well, you have got that goalkeeper. But because of the way he was managed and because of his, his character, frankly, he's on loan at Nottingham Forest for the season, which is beneficial for United in a way because he's out of the picture and... Uh, his wages are being covered in full by Forrest as well. So that's that, that, that. those are a couple of positives. But there's no point bringing in a goalie to provide competition for De Gea when you have still got Dean Henderson on the books. And he's on the books until 2026 at the very latest. They're going to have to make a decision with the keeper next next year. I don't even necessarily think it would be an outright guarantee that De Gea's contract would be triggered. I'm not saying that with any inside info at all or anything but just the way obviously it's a different regime so to speak now under united you'd think that they cannot make the mistakes the previous regime did of giving players new contracts at the wrong time and then being saddled with them for years and years and years and given to Hayes age given his stock i think it's difficult it's going to be difficult if they do intend to sell him I, th I don't see how they could sell him next year. I think that would be extremely difficult to get a deal that is really good for them. So in some ways, it would maybe make more sense to release him a year early and not take up the option of an additional year, as, as shocking as that might seem. But they have to keep all their options open because it's you know, one of Henderson and De Gea have to go next year and have to go permanently because you can see uh, a situation developing where, where Ten Hag decides... I need a new goalkeeper because yeah. like David, I have utmost respect for him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but he can't do what I want him to do. And although Dean might be able to do that, he's, he's a pain in the backside <laughs> and he's, he's he, the bridge. He's got the club over there. It's, it's burning. It's, it's been raised to the ground now. So uh, it's, it's a, that's an ever changed situation. I think if De Gea has a really good season, obviously, you know, you could be talking about a new contract, but, even then, I'm sure some people would be sceptical about that. You've got to wait and let it play out for another good, I'd say another six months at the very least, before you get down to making 
a, a clinical and definitive decision on on the keeping situation because it's ever evolving. I mean, both of them have not had especially great starts to the season. Henderson, of course, uh, he, he was key for Forrest getting that win and he made a key save, uh, the win against West Ham. He made a key save last week against uh, Everton, but he did get caught out a little bit for Damari Gray's equaliser and he comes off his line. And I've said this before, because De Gea is rooted to his line, I was told that Henderson consciously comes off his line even more to show yeah. that he's a proactive goalkeeper. And sometimes it's it's better to keep your powder dry because that's where you make mistake if you a mistake if you're over eager. And with De Gea, of course, he's not had a good se- start to the season whatsoever. And although he was better against Liverpool, some people might have said he could have done better with the goal because of the way it went out to Salah. But I think he was a bit unlucky with that. I thought he had a, a pretty good game against Liverpool. He made some some good important saves. Yeah, like you said, that's one that's obviously got to be uh, revisited as the season goes on. And it sounds like it's going to be the same as well for a trio of players who are all going to be set to leave as well, but but not now. Phil Jones, Axel Twanzebe and Brandon Williams, Eric Ten Hag, addressed them all in his press conference. He's asked about them and just said they're all injured at the moment, so we don't expect any of them to go before deadline day. And United actually shifting players this summer, Samuel, has still been a problem, hasn't it? Yeah, they've they've still not they've still not outright sold anyone from the squad last year, and you can't say that well, Bailly's going to Marseille permanently because there's there's an appearance number that he has to hit, and this is a guy who has averaged fewer than twenty appearances per season in his United career, so that is far from a guarantee, and it's six million for him if if he does hit that number and Marseille qualify for the Champions League, six million for him, six million euros, I should say. Is, is not a good deal whatsoever. That is an admission of, look, we've, we've majorly cocked up here uh, in just giving him a new contract last year, which everyone knew at the time. Solskjaer um, was very uncertain of it when he was, I think I asked him about it on one of the Zoom calls and he, he mentioned his appearance record and his injuries. And then, of course, everyone knew he'd get a new contract because that's <laughs> the way United operate. And he, he played played seven times last season and he, he probably should have played more because of the selection policy and it, it wasn't entirely fair. And he had a couple of games where he did merit more playing time. But with, with Eric Bai, it's it's like unpinning a grenade. It's always going to go off at some point. And of course, with him last season, he was brilliant at Atalanta away. Next game, five minutes in, it's an own goal against Man City and United again, getting torn to shreds and in another derby they, they couldn't depend on him he had a very good first season after that it's it's pretty remarkable at any other club it would be remarkable that he was still there but with United they have this habit of letting players stagnate and ending up being saddled with them and Jones is another one we were told earlier in the summer he's following a, a personal fitness program but speaking to someone uh, they said that yeah, how, how few amount of times he'd actually been at Carrington. He's still not trained with, with the squad this summer. Williams has been injured for the best part of two months. I think I wrote a couple of weeks ago that the injuries were likely to prevent United from from selling certain players and Jones, Williams and Tuanzebe were the three. Tuanzebe's been doing recovery work in the gym. Again, that's a bit mystifying. He left the pre-season tour after the first game due to a personal issue. And during his time while he's been away or off the scene, he's he's got injured again, which kind of sums up his career at United. Um, Williams, it's been an ill-timed and, and lengthy injury as well. 
uh, I suppose with with Wan Bissaka, if Wan Bissaka was to go, then Williams would be the backup right back because he's right footed full back, and just for the for the purposes of balance, uh, that would make more sense because Tyrell Malassia has, has been signed and is is going to be starting ahead of Luke Shaw. You would think again tomorrow at Southampton and had a tremendous full debut against Southampton. Sorry, not against Southampton, against Liverpool. But there is an element of risk there in that if you've got Dallow and Williams as your two right-backs, it is it is quite underwhelming. Dallow was excellent the other night as well. And in fairness to him, the last two years, pretty much since he went to Milan, he I think he's been injury-free uh, since the start of that loan, loan spell, which is immense credit to him. And he has made changes to to his diet, to his uh, to his regime and, and staying fit. And I was told during the pandemic in Italy, um, some Italian players went to Dubai, which was ill-advised in at Christmas time because COVID was rife and he didn't uh, because he, he, he didn't want to take the risk. He didn't socialise in Italy uh, a lot of the time because he didn't want to get take the risk of getting COVID. And he just worked out in his, I think, in his apartment there where he had a, a gym assembled. So, He's been very dedicated to his fitness after his, his first first two years at United. He, they were they were injury laden to say the least. So his fitness has been good in the last couple of years. But of course, if he if he does pick up an injury, it's probably Brandon Williams coming in at right back, unless Ten Hag has something up his sleeve. And who's to say he wouldn't? I mean, Arteta has has done well so far this season by relocating Ben White to to right back and maybe. Maybe Ten Hag would consider doing that with with one of the centre backs. I mean, Lindelof has played there a handful of times, but it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be ideal at all. So Southampton this weekend, then Samuel, what are you expecting? Do you think that United will be able to learn from those mistakes from those first two matches of the season, or do you think it might be more of the same and and no aside who are difficult to break down and United's shortcomings might be exposed? It wouldn't really surprise me if that was the case. I think this game is going to be a far more reliable gauge of where they're at rather than the, the, the Liverpool game the other night. Someone who who is a Liverpool fan, unsurprisingly, uh, described it to me as, as as being like an FA Cup tie where the underdogs uh, have got two defenders going down with cramp, but they they see off the the, the, the superior side and. It was a fair point. I mean, Superior sides who haven't won the season as well. Well, yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> who United are above as well. Uh, so I, I, I did. Part of me did think it was, it was a good time to play Liverpool, and they did have two key, two key absences in every outfield department. Really, Canate or Matip would have started uh, ahead of Gomez. Thiago was a big miss. Fabinho wasn't deemed fully fit enough to start, so they didn't maximise him. Jota can, has this knack of coming up with big goals, important goals. And of course, Nunez was suspended. So I'm, I'm not getting a small violin out. I'm just providing context there. Liverpool should still, if, if Liverpool were on it, they'd have beaten United. But they're, they're overwhelmed by United and the intensity that United operated at. I don't think, I don't think we've seen that from them in years or, or ever before, really. They've, they've never been a team renowned for pressing or, or playing at that tempo when that they did channel all the negativity and the build-up into their performance and in, in a really positive way. But it was, it, it, they really need to win this weekend because otherwise you look at them, you think that the mentality is a bit, it's a bit small time. If you're getting yourself up for an evening game against Liverpool, but you can't get yourself up for the next game against Southampton, 
something's just not right. And this is why Southampton is such a good, well-timed test in that the contrast in the top tier could not be, in, in terms of the occasion, could not be any different. It's gone. You're going from a tribal 8pm Monday night kickoff against Liverpool with protests outside, biggest game in Britain, to Saturday lunchtime down south at Southampton. Uh, you know, quite a sterile atmosphere, not much needle between United fans and Southampton fans whatsoever. So the occasions are so markedly different that you almost anticipate a drop-off from United. But for their sake, you hope they pro prove you wrong, that they come out and they're on the front foot and they, they play similarly to the way they, they started against Liverpool. Liverpool has to be the, the benchmark for them, the, the way they play, particularly in the first the first 20 minutes because they're not going to be against every against most teams they're going to have more of the ball against Liverpool they didn't have as much of the ball which was to be expected so there's more than one way of skinning a cat but they've got to play in the way that Ten Hag wants them to play this weekend the way they played for probably the majority of Monday night is not necessarily the way he'd want them to play because it was counter-attacking in the second half primarily, which is absolutely fine. And you're right saying at the start that it was it had echoes of pre-Solskjaer autumn 2021 of you know, pulling pulling one out, out of the hat in, in, in difficult circumstances. Uh, but that's not the way Ten Hag wants United to play. He wants them to be more proactive it's 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 possession based but in a proactive way and creating chances and so that that's why this is a really good test because united need to prove to everyone that that monday wasn't just a one off and that they're going to be able that they're going to be capable of sustaining this momentum going into a pretty tricky week although leicester are playing badly at the moment not having good results they've got leicester on the thursday night and then it's arsenal at home on the sunday and like he says, well, it's going to be really a real test for United's forwards who, again, look better on the counter attack. They've got to, they've got the onus is on them to go there and break a team down and to create chances out of nothing and to have win those individual duels. So it's going to be a really interesting one, actually. Like he said, I think it will really set the tone for just how well United are doing under Ten Hag. And you know, if United win this weekend, then you can push those two opening defeats under the rug and say they happened, you know, United just weren't at it. They've, they've now found their rhythm. If they drop points again, then you do really wonder if things have changed at all this summer. Samuel, I suppose, then short and sweet, maybe not an exact score prediction, but what, what do you think the outcome of the game will be? I, I don't think United will lose, which is, is progress. <laughs> on, uh, One way on, of saying a draw, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I could see it being a draw. Southampton, in fairness, have shown some resilience since they were thumped on the opening weekend by Tottenham. I think they had 18 minutes left when they were 2-0 down against Leeds. They got a 2-2 draw. That was at home. Last week, they were 1-0 down against Leicester and they won that game 2-1. And this is a team who, after the first game, there were reports that the manager was supposedly on the brink and the players were surprised his, his future wasn't in in doubt or under question earlier in the summer. So they've, as I said, they've, they've shown resilience and maybe Hassan Hootel has, has survived that early season scare. Um, but United, even, okay, Marshall's injured, but they showed on Monday night, they, they can beat Liverpool. So I'll, I'll go for a, a, probably a slender 2-1 United win. Uh, but as I said, if, if they win this game and they play in the way Ten Hag wants them to play, I think that will be 
that'll arguably a more progressive stride than than beating Liverpool because you just sense and you hope for their sake anyway that it isn't a one-off. But I think a lot of people are maybe looking at Southampton thinking that you know it wouldn't be a surprise if United don't end up winning that game. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you there. I think a narrow United win either by a single goal or maybe a second one late on where Southampton push forward. But yeah, we will wait and see what happens at St. Mary's. Samuel will be there uh, at the game so you can follow that coverage on the Manchester Evening News website. And of course, we'll be back early next week on the Manchester is Red podcast to look back at the game against Southampton and give you all the latest transfer news in the dying days of the window as well. So Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Rich. Appreciate it. And thank you wherever you are in the world, as always. If you can leave a like and subscribe, it's greatly appreciated. Take care, enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you again next time.